So Holy Spirit, help us apply those words to our lives and live out of them. We ask this in your name. Jesus, amen. Well, good to see all of you here. Good to see those of you who are watching on the podcast. Just want to let you know that after church this morning, I will be leading a prayer, uh, prayer meeting that Oakland might lose today and the Mariners might win. So just want to invite you all to that. Whatever happens, it's game 162 and they're still in the hunt. When was the last time that happened, huh? God is good. Uh, as most of you know, my family and I were in New York during Hurricane Sandy. And in spite of all the warnings, I went outside because I've always wanted to be in a hurricane. And I took my kids with me because I'm dumb. And, 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 and we'd only been outside for a, a short time when suddenly the lights went out all over New York as well as much of the eastern seaboard. And I looked up and through a gap in the clouds, I could see stars. And I thought, when was the last time you could see stars in Manhattan? Had to be like 100 years ago, right? And then right about that same time, this giant metal sign ripped off of one of the buildings and went flying around like the witch in the Wizard of Oz right near us. And I thought what every dad thinks in that moment, man, I better get these kids inside because if they get hurt, my wife's going to kill me. (laughs) So I got them inside, and then I went running in the storm because that was also pretty cool. But, But when I saw those stars... I instantly thought of a sermon illustration, you know, as you do in those moments, and I thought, man, some things you can only see in the dark. Now, you may not have realized the preaching genius that that was, that statement right there, so I'm going to say it again. Some things you can only see when the lights go out. And that's really what this sermon series on thriving in exile is really all about, whether it's a personal Exile experience, you know, relationship, job issue, I don't like living where I am, or whatever it is. Or maybe life is great, but you're starting to wonder, is there even more? Might God have even more for me? Or as Christians in a post-Christian culture that often dislikes us, we have these exile experiences. But if you look at the Bible, if you look at church history, one of the things you notice is that people actually thrive in exile. Some things happen in exile, just like stars can only be seen in the dark. Some things happen in exile that don't usually happen in other places. Exile has been too good for too many people for too long to be all bad. Though sometimes the good can be hard to find, right? I mean, just honestly, as I shared with you a couple weeks ago, we Dudley men, me, my dad, my son, we have a hard, we lose things and we have a hard time finding things. It's just genetic. And the other night my son was looking for a thermos and he couldn't find it. So he asked my wife where it was. And she said, well, it's in the cupboard behind the dishes. And he said, oh, behind, that's my downfall. Maybe that's how you feel in your exile experience. Pastor says there's something good here, but I can't find it. It must be behind something because I can't figure it out. Well, the most significant exile experience in Scripture is when the Babylonian army went into Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, burned the temple to the ground, carted the Jews off to exile in Babylon for 70 years. But an awful lot of good stuff happened to them in exile. For instance, they saw more of God's power. See, they believed back then that God only lived in the temple. So when it was destroyed, they thought God was gone. But what they discovered in exile in Babylon was that God was there with them. He's that big. He's that powerful. Plus, in exile, God strengthened, refined, and purified them. And that's what we see in the passage that we read today out of the book of Isaiah. Jesus uses this passage as his text for his first sermon, but it was written 500 years before Jesus by the prophet Isaiah to the exiles in Babylon. And it's a promise to them of reviving and thriving in exile. Good news will be preached to the poor. Broken hearts will be bound up. 
says they'll rebuild the ancient ruins, a promise that they will rebuild Jerusalem, which they did when they got out of exile. And then it concludes by saying they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now that's significant because earlier Isaiah had used oaks to talk about the Israelites, but there he says they were oaks with fading leaves. Because not only were they worshiping idols, but they were burning their kids alive. They'd throw their kids alive in a fire, burn them up. They would force women into sexual slavery as temple prostitutes as part of their rituals to these pagan gods. Very, very evil. But after the exile, they never returned to idolatry again. They became oaks of right living instead of oaks with faded leaves. God used the exile to refine, strengthen, and purify them. He does the same with us. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't also strengthen us, refine us in good times. He does. Things that we're thankful for, he works in that. But even when things are going great, even when things are going great, God always has even more for us. And I'll address that a little later in the sermon. So God, yeah, he works with us. He refines us in the good times. But he also never wastes an exile experience, ever. He uses those exile experiences to purify us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like that word purified. It sounds kind of harsh and hard. I don't actually want to be purified. Beautified, maybe, right? Glorified, for sure. Magnified, quantified, calcified even. Maybe even electrified, but not purified. It sounds so puritanical. And if you don't know what that is, it's the nagging suspicion that someone somewhere is having fun and it must be stopped. So as the last couple weeks, I've given you substitute words for exile, pioneer, ambassador, happier words for exile. Let me give you a happier word for purified. The happier word for purified is the word instead. See, what really happens when God refines us or when God purifies us is he takes what's not working in our lives or even what's great in our lives and gives us something bigger, better, deeper, richer instead. And this sermon has two parts. The good news part and the even better news part. In the text we read, the word instead is repeated five times in just seven verses. It says God gives us beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of a heavy spirit. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. That is, in our exile, God does this kind of holy exchange. And you see it in the very first of those images, beauty instead of ashes. Back then, ashes were used as a sign of repentance or mourning. So when something went really wrong, or when you were repenting of a sin, you would put ashes on yourself. Only not just a little bit, they would actually take a whole bucket and just dump these ashes all over them. Right? So it'd be in your hair, it'd be on your clothes, you were dirty. Basically, you were a walking billboard that said, this is how much my life sucks. And everyone could see that you were in ashes. And it's actually a really great metaphor because ashes are a result of fire. And what fire does is it breaks the chemical bonds that holds things together and reduces it to ash. And that's what sin in our life does. It breaks the bonds that hold us together with other people, us together with ourselves, us together with God, and turns our lives into ash. So for instance, let's say you're mad at someone. And you don't forgive, as God says to do in the Bible. You don't let it go. Well, that wears on you physically wears on you psychologically, you become bitter and your life kind of falls to ashes. See, the problem with sin is not that it's wrong. The problem with sin is that it's stupid. It just wrecks our lives. 
And just as stars are only visible at night, you know, sometimes it's in our exile experiences that we are best able to see the results of our broken behaviors and begin to let go of them and get God's bigger and better instead, instead. And in the process, we become then more who God created us to be, our original design. And that's an important phrase, original design. Because you see, purification, transformation is not a matter of becoming someone else. It's actually a matter of unbecoming. Transformation is about unbecoming who you were never created to be in the first place. It's like what Michelangelo said about his statue of David, which was carved from a stone that was so flawed no artist in Florence would touch it. Michelangelo said, I saw David inside and chipped away everything that wasn't David. You see, God uses our exile experiences to chip away the behaviors, the habits, the sins that were not a part of our original design, who we were never created to be in the first place, and we get transformed. And then in the process, as we are transformed, we also lose our shame over the things that we've done that we are ashamed about. Now, sin and shame in our culture, you know, our culture tries to say, ah, you know, you don't need to feel bad about sin. There is no such thing as sin. You're not sinful. You just have, you know, ethical growth opportunities. It's fine. You just, you know, no big deal, nothing to be ashamed over. Okay, that dog won't hunt. And we know it. If it's no big deal, if sin is no big deal, then why do most of us, all of us, in fact, have something we've done or things that we think that we don't want to tell anybody because we feel shame? When Pope Benedict was elected, a guy named Rogers saw an opportunity and he registered the domain name benedict16.com. Kind of entrepreneurial of him, don't you think? In the same week, someone actually had the same idea, similar name, popebenedict.com, sold it on eBay for $16,000. Only in America could you sell a pope's name and make money. But Rogers, Rogers, he said he didn't want any money. He, he was a Catholic himself and he said, I, you know, I don't want to anger one billion Catholics, plus my grandmother. So he said, I don't mind if the church has the name, I just want three things in return. He said, I want one of those funny little hats. I want a free stay at the Vatican Hotel. I didn't even know there was such a thing. And they said, the third thing I want is complete absolution, no questions asked for the third week of March, 1997. Really makes you want to know what happened that third week of March, doesn't it? Right, see, even if your life is awesome, we all got a week in March we just as soon forget, right? Somewhere in our background. Recently saw a TED Talk by an EMT who has seen a lot, a lot of people die. And he said, in every single case, regardless of their cultural background, every single person, when they know they are about to die, expresses a need for forgiveness without fail. See, we all got something. Even if life is awesome, we've all got some sense of shame. It's exile. But look what God does in our exile. Text says, instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. See, as Christians, our inheritance is Jesus who forgives us and transforms us. And he does it in a way that we can't forget. You know, he doesn't just say, oh, no big deal, I forgive you. Because we know that's too easy. It wouldn't work. So we know some kind of price has to be paid or it's just not just and fair. And so he pays the price on the cross for our sins. And however all of that works, what it, whatever, however all that works is what it is at the bottom line is it's Jesus saying in a dramatic way that we can't ignore. It's over. It's done with. Forget about it. I have taken care of your sin. I have taken care of your shame. The penalty has been paid. Now, you and I, let's go have some fun as you partner with me in my rescue mission to this world and as I create in you who I always created you to be. We get freedom instead of shame. 
One of my favorite pastors, John Ortberg, says that his administrative assistant recently replaced some of his theological books in his office with Daniel Steele novels, kind of those steamy romances, you know, and, and they had a betting pool around the office how long it would take for John to notice. He never noticed, right? Well, to make it worse, he was speaking at a conference, and he needed to have some publicity pictures taken for the conference brochure. You got it, right? So here's John, right, with titles behind him like Passion's Promise and Season of Passion and all this stuff, right? Like, I, I wonder if more people signed up for the conference because of that. Like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to go to this conference, man. There was an exchange, right? Theological books for steamy romances. Jesus does the reverse exchange. He takes our steamy sordid ashes and gives us his beauty instead. It's his bigger instead. And I don't care what you've done. God's grace covers it. You know, sometimes we feel like, oh, man, I'm such a wreck. God can't possibly forgive me. If people only knew, I can't possibly be forgiven. I can't all this shame. You know what? That's actually kind of egotistical. My sin is so big, not even God can handle it. Oh, get over yourself. I got a newsflash for you. You really aren't all that much of a challenge to God's grace. He can handle it. You're not all that and a bag of chips. He can handle your worst sin. He says, I forgive you. Now, come on. Let's go have some fun. Forget about that stuff. Let's go have some fun. Let's, let's make a dent in the devil's plans, you and I together. Let's go. That's the good news. The better news part, the even better news part, is what this passage is really getting at with all of those insteads, is that when the enemy has a purpose, the father has another purpose instead of what the enemy wants. The enemy wanted to destroy the Jews' faith. Right? Oh, your temple's gone. Guess God's gone too. Instead... What they discovered was God was with them. Wherever they were, God was still God there too. When we sin, the enemy wants to kind of get us off track and kind of wreck our self-esteem and all of that. But what Jesus does, he gives us a bigger instead so that you know, he replaces the old us with the new us. We get the new us instead. Right? The, the, the passage we read today talks about receiving a double portion. Part of what I think that means is that for every punch the enemy throws, you rebound not just to the level from which you fell, but to a level twice as high. I believe that for us as individuals, and I believe that for the church corporately in America. You know, as I said earlier, it is easy, at least for me as a pastor, to sometimes feel like an exile in a post-Christian culture that dislikes Christians increasingly. And we've got to admit, some of that is well-deserved, because Christians have said and done some pretty awful things over the years. But it's, but it's given us all a, a black eye. But I believe that God can use exile to give us his bigger and better instead, individually but corporately as Christians in this culture. Historically, we Christians have always been at our worst when we are at the center of culture and at our best when we have no cultural power at all. As I've said many times, Christianity grew faster than any other religion in history for its first 300 years, not because they had cultural power, but because they did not have cultural power. It was because of how they put different races together and how they cared for the poor and sick, even dying themselves in the process, but were unafraid of death because they knew that they would just rise again. But then once Christianity became the state religion, all of that just died. It's part of why I like being a pastor here in the Northwest where only 9% of the population go to church. You're here. Do you realize how odd you are in the Northwest? Just for, you're just weirdos for being here, right? In the Northwest. Nobody does this on a Sunday morning. We're glad that you come because the sermon is more fun to preach when you're here, but nobody does this, right? But it's one of the reasons I like being a pastor here as opposed to other parts of the country because if you're in church, it's usually because you mean it at some level. You at least have some questions you're asking, 
Because it's definitely not the thing to do around here. And because of that, I think churches here are smaller than in other places, but I think stronger. You know, when I tell pastors from other parts of the country where a little more socially accepted to go to church, tell them some of the stuff we do here, you know, alternative high school for kids with really rough backgrounds, women's Bible study that cooks breakfast for those same kids and hangs out with those same kids, Jubilee Reach, Auto Angels, all that stuff. Pastors from other parts of the country will say, well, how'd you get Presbyterians to do that? And I say, it's because we don't have Presbyterians. We have Christians. Right? We don't have Baptists or Methodists either, just people trying to follow Jesus. Jesus will use exile to purify his church and give us something bigger and better instead. So that instead of relying on our cultural power, we rely on God's power instead. Instead of just going to church because it's a thing to do, we become passionate about following Jesus instead. Instead of getting mad over things like what kind of music gets played in church or how come people don't dress up to go to church anymore, we, instead we get excited about God's rescue mission and join him. Instead of thinking we can legislate our way to paradise, we get about the serious business of loving people so that they can know Jesus, who alone can shift a culture by shifting human hearts one at a time. Instead of using every dollar to make consumer Christians more comfortable, we spend some dollars to break cycles of poverty and help others thrive. Instead, instead of churchianity, we get back to Jesus. Exile has been too good for too many people for too long to be all bad. And if that's where exile leads the American church, then I say, come Lord Jesus, bring it on. Somebody say amen. amen. In exile, we let go of our kingdom, even if it's a good kingdom, and get God's bigger, richer, deeper kingdom instead. And our role is just to do two things. One, pray and look for God's instead. Have this attitude and this question, God, what's the bigger instead you're trying to do in this situation? You can get preoccupied with the problem, preoccupied with what the enemy's trying to do to you, preoccupied even with the good things in your life, or you can get preoccupied with the bigger and better instead that God's trying to do. I think of people I know who, whose lives were going awesome, job, family, everything, but they got involved in things like mentoring a kid reach or Eastside Academy student, helping other people thrive, and discovered that as good as their life was, God had something even better instead. The EMT I mentioned who said that every person he's seeing dying always asks for forgiveness. The other thing they always want is a sense that their life mattered. It meant something that they were here. And when we get on with God's rescue mission, even great lives become even better. Pray and look for God's instead. And then second, cooperate with him. Do what he says to do in Scripture. So for instance, if, if someone's hurt you, you're mad, the enemy wants to get you off track, get you all bitter and angry, torn up about that, but Jesus offers something better instead, which is to connect with his love for you, and in that security, begin to let that go, so that rather than being consumed by rage, you have freedom and joy instead. There's a therapist friend of mine who runs a four-day marriage intensive for couples, and this, this, they do miracles on these intensives. He told me a story about a couple, second marriage for both of them. Got married. At first it was really good, you know, but then they got distracted with career and kids and stopped connecting, started fighting. She felt like the only time he paid attention to her was when he wanted something. He wondered where the fun, adventurous woman he married had gone to. She just seemed angry. They tried counseling, it didn't help, so they filed for divorce. They were in exile. Well, one day on their church website, she saw a banner for this marriage intensive that my friend does, took a picture with her phone, texted it to him, and said, would you be willing to go? He said, 
Why, what do we have to lose? So they went. Neither of them thought it would do any good. In fact, one of the reasons they went was just their friends were pressuring them to go. Right? And, 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 and in fact, on the way up to the intensive, as they were driving to this four-day intensive, they were actually doing the final details of their divorce settlement. You know, custody issues, kind of final details about assets and all of that stuff. But through the course of those four days, things began to shift. They dealt with wounds from their past. Asked Jesus to kind of step in and heal some of those wounds. She began to see ways that she really was less fun and had become kind of angry. He began to see ways that he had hurt her. Well, the last day of the intensive, what they do is they go around the room and each couple says what they've learned. And sometimes couples say, well, we're still getting divorced, but a lot of times something has, something has changed. Well, it got to this man and he said, I've learned that I've been selfish and I've learned that I have some wounds from my past that I'm not dealing with very well. And then he looked at his wife and he said, and I've learned that I need to love you better. And then he just started, just kind of, it just happened. He just lapsed into saying their wedding vows. They'd written their own, and he just started reciting their wedding vows to her. And when he was done, she recited their wedding vows back to him. They basically got remarried. And then after that, they, they spent, you know, a lot of months kind of working on it, putting it all back together. And, you know, today they, they still have challenges, like every marriage has challenges. But today they are happily married. Not just not divorced, happily married. God used their exile experience to refine and purify them. They gave up some sinful behaviors. And God gave them his bigger and better instead instead of a second divorce, or instead of just sticking together for the sake of the kids, they got the marriage God always intended them to have instead. So here's your homework. In the question section of your bulletin, you'll see these three lines with the word instead in the middle. That didn't come out so well. It looks much nicer on the bulletin. Um, you'll see the words in three lines with instead in the middle. I want you to take it home and fill it out. Don't do it here because I still have many brilliant things that I'm going to say. You don't want to miss them. So, you know, Take it home. I want you to pray over it and ask God to show you the instead he might want to give you or maybe the insteads that you want to ask him for. And then fill it out. Renewed marriage instead of a dead one. Whatever it is, fill it out. And then do the following four things. One, pray and ask God to give you those insteads. Two, cooperate. What might God be telling you to do to step into those insteads? Three, keep your eyes open for the ways that he may be answering that prayer. Some insteads take weeks, some insteads take years, but keep praying, keep cooperating, keep looking, and then fourth, tell your story to someone. Make it more real. A friend, small group, tell it to me so I can anonymously share it with the congregation to encourage others. But step into your instead. It is there for us. God is offering us. He is bigger and better instead. <clears throat> I'll close with this. I just heard a story about a couple who got married, and reception went really late, so they were exhausted. So they got to their hotel, and the groom had booked the bridal suite. But when they got into the room, all they saw was this kind of this, uh, sofa with a hide-a-bed and a table and chairs and all that. But it was late, so they just, they just said, oh, whatever. But the bed was lumpy, super uncomfortable, kind of miserable night. So the next day, the groom went to the front desk and just gave the clerk a tongue-lashing. Right, like, I paid good money for that, and you call that a suite, and what is that? Just went on and on and on for like five minutes, and the clerk said, well, did you open the door in the room? And the guy goes, there was just a closet door in the room. The clerk said, that wasn't the closet door. That was the door into the suite. You were in the entry room. <laughs> so sure enough, the, 
groom goes back and opens the door, and there were two more rooms, basket full of fruit, chocolate, champagne, all kinds of stuff. Chocolates on the pillows, right? They'd spent the night in exile. <laughs> when all of that was available to them, instead, Bell Press. Let's step into our instead. Even if life is great, God's got something bigger, better, even more instead. Because Jesus is Lord of the instead. He rose from the grave instead of staying dead. And he can give us courage instead of fear. Freedom instead of bondage. Overcoming instead of being a victim. Energy instead of procrastination. Thriving relationships instead of broken hearts. Beauty for ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair until the whole east side and beyond can see in us that our God lives, our God reigns, and he is Lord of the instead. So Jesus, help us step into that. Help us to see the ways you're trying to give us that, cooperate with you and not fight with you, and we will give you all our thanks and praise for the ways that you do change us and transform us and the world around us. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.